Hey everybody, my name is Axel Villeneuve and we're back on 24 Shades of Blue. And for those that are listening, I'm at the ETF base, finding out everything this unit has to offer. One of the things we're also going to be doing is demystifying any stigmas as well. First person I'm going to be speaking to is Craig Ashman, the ETF training office team leader. Let's go check it out. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for coming by. No worries. Good, so good. where are we? What is ETF? You know, tell us about what ETF does for all the people that might not know. For sure. So today we're in front of the Emergency Task Force building. This building was established back in 1989. The ETF itself was a unit that was actually put together back in 1965. It was tasked with certain uh, different details to assist uh, frontline officers, investigative units, and so on. Today, the ETF is one of the units that uh, work under the Special Emergency Response section of our Special Operations Command. We're tasked with a number of things, and some of the things that we are tasked with or mandated to deal with are barricaded suspects, persons uh, in crisis, uh, suicide intervention, uh, anything from um, you know acts of terrorism, uh, basically anywhere where there is a potential for violence with armed persons or violent persons and offenders, and also whatever the unit commander deems that it's something that we should be responding to. Okay, so it's a wide range of stuff. Very wide range of stuff. I think there's a huge stigma probably around you know ETF as well. And you know just walking around here, you see you know big armored trucks and stuff like that. Everybody's yeah. and you know massive and jacked, but like. What are some stigmas that we can kind of like just clear out right now? Yeah, I think the main stigma is, uh, you know, we're going to barge into somebody's house and everybody's going to get hurt regardless of your role or why we're there. And that's farthest from the truth. Um, actually, you know, our ultimate goal is a peaceful resolution. And if it's a person in crisis, let's say, we want to get them some help, the help that they need. We always seek out the best way, which is safest for officers and the public, and also the people that are involved, the reason why we're there. We are required uh, to attend the high-risk incident calls, and, and we're, we're dealing with some of the most violent people. We always hope for and plan for a piece of resolution. Absolutely. I mean, for yourselves too, it sounds like it's a very high intensity job. Um, you're going through a lot of, you know, different situations, probably a lot of different emotions. How, how is your mental health, how's the team's mental health in this aspect? We have a big advantage being in this unit because uh, it's a very tight-knit unit. It's, um, it's almost like a family, or family outside, away from family. You work on a team, a team comprises of say 10 operators and a sergeant. And you train together, you work together. Your teammates really know who you are as a person. And I mean, we have a lot of different services available to us, the Toronto Police uh, Psychological uh, Services. Uh, we're actually mandated each year our officers have to go down for just a review with the doctor uh, just, just to see how you're doing and make sure you're in good mental check. I mean, that's huge. I mean, it also sounds very important with a, a job like this. Do you, do you end up taking that all home with you sometimes? Like, what's the process of you leaving it maybe here at, you know, at HQ or, you know, how does that work? Because of that tight-knit uh, network that we have and the support group that we have here, I think it also molds you as a person to deal with stressful situations and to look for, um, you know, what's the best way to deal with this particular uh, situation, regardless of his home or with the family, with the kids, with parents. You look at a way of a problem-solving type, a never-quit attitude. Uh, you, you know, for most of us, that's... That, that's kind of a mindset you develop, um, especially after you've been here for a few years. I think it molds you into that kind of a positive, a winning attitude type person. Absolutely. I mean, is there any moments you could share with me maybe that was maybe a special moment from a mental health aspect where your team you know, was like looking out for you here? Um, I mean, that would be every call, <laughs> right? We look out for each other on every call. I mean, and that's one thing about being in the team environment by getting to know each other that well, is that your lives are actually in your teammates' hands and theirs are in mine as well, of right? Um, so in general, all the calls we go on, we have confidence that we know your teammate has your back and you have theirs. 
So, so I think most of the guys here would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. You also say guys. There's a lot of guys here <laughs> yes. and not a lot of women. You know, mm -hmm. could you eat? we get into that a little bit about maybe why there are, you know, less yeah. women, um, the numbers are a little lower or and, and what's yeah. happening to bring those numbers up? Yeah, so our selection process is not gender specific. Yeah. Uh, our selection is based on what's required for the job. We've had females here in the past who've done exceptionally well, and we have one here right now who's actually part of our training cadre. Our selection process is, is published on our internal uh, internet, so candidates coming up can review what's required for the selection, the physical aspect of it, interview questions and so on, and can prepare themselves. In the future, what we're hoping to do then is to make it a little bit more inviting is to do an open house. So all of our members, our sworn members, have the ability to come by, speak with the trainers, speak with the teammates, and say, you know, I'm really interested in, the, in, in your unit. What, are you, what, what is your unit all about? Exactly what we're Just doing today. transparency, right? Exactly, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and hopefully we can, uh, and again, it's not, a, it's not a gender specific, but hopefully we can attract more of our members to come up for selection, having a more calculated knowledge, I guess, as to is this something I really want to do in my career? So also just to mention, uh, we have a basic uh, tactical orientation course, which mm -hmm. is open to basically all of Canada, um, Ontario specifically. Uh, we have members from different units. It's a six-week course, and in the last year and a half to two years, we've had three uh, female officers from different agencies attend, and they did exceptionally well. Wow! They were in there doing the same thing as all the guys. So there is no, you know, we want to dispel that stigma of guys versus girls. Yeah. You know, if you can do the job and you can succeed on the course, then matters. you're good to go. And we have confidence knowing when they hand, once we've handed them that certificate. They're going to be phenomenal on their teams back at their respective units. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about number of calls too and the severity of them. I feel like, you know, I'm a little scared to also be right here. I'm sure anything could happen right now and there's a call. Let's talk about uh, what you do get uh, coming in. Yeah, on average, we're running about 600, 600 plus calls a year. Now, over the years, we've dealt with, again, some of the most violent people, uh, potentially armed, who intend to do harm to others, the public, and so on. So when you go to speak of the severity of us attending a call, uh, there are times when uh, we may be dealing with an extremely violent offender who has uh, committed a criminal offense, such as, say, a homicide or a murder, and they made a decision that they're going to put up resistance against police. Again, our initial mindset is still looking for a peaceful resolution. To put things in perspective, uh, over the last 10 years, let's say 2012 to 2021, we've done over 6,000 calls. Wow. Uh, the fatality rate where it's been ETF-involved shooting is 0.06%. It's less than 1%. Uh, to throw some numbers out there, it's about four times in the last 10 years in 6,000-plus calls. Wow. Um, okay. One side that people don't see is that over 20% of the calls we do are persons in crisis. Mm -hmm. And we've had a great success rate in helping persons in crisis to get the care, the medical care that they need. So that's something to consider as well, that it's not always a criminal offense that we're dealing yes. with. Yeah, you're working with the mental aspect as well, right? Absolutely. That's just as important as, you know, having to be physical when you need to. So I totally get that. Well, it sounds like one stigma is right, is that ETF is successful in, yes. in, in what you do. So why do you think that is the fact? We're mandated by the Solicitor General of Ontario for 592 hours a year. That's their minimum. We've surpassed that. Apart from structured training, which is carried out or, or dictated by the, um, the training section of our unit, 
the teams themselves do ongoing training. On a night shift, if you're not doing calls, they're training. And they're training in many different uh, skill sets. It could be negotiations, it could be less lethal uh, you know, use of force. So I think that's our big, um, big credit to the unit for being successful. It's not only the team environment that we create, but the amount of training. Like you said, there was a lot of calls being made um, and with a great success rate, but it, it sounds like there's, there has to be a process to this because you're a very specialized team. How does this work? Yeah. So there's a number of ways that we get uh, called out to assist uh, divisional units or investigative units. If it's a search warrant where uh, it's been an ongoing investigation and they're deemed that there may be a very violent offender, uh, weapons may be included or so on, uh, that's a little bit of background search. Then investigators may call upon us to help assist with um, you know, a higher search warrant or an arrest warrant. Um, a big bulk of our calls are divisional, to assist a divisional unit. So divisional units will first attend mm -hmm. to assess the situation. Um, if they deem it's something that falls under a mandate or they don't have the training or the equipment to deal with that particular situation and they have the luxury of, say, containing it and getting some, gathering some information, we then receive a call here. Okay. Um, and then we will attend, get briefed by the sergeant on scene or a constable who has the most information, and then we'll devise our tactical plan. So, you know, for lack of better terms, uh, when the public calls 911, there are times when our own police officers will call 911. Ah, and that's where they're 911. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, we're all the same team for the Toronto Police, and we're a support unit uh, for the units out there that aren't um, equipped or trained as we are, and we're there to help them on their calls. Hey, everybody, we're here with Warren Boddard, training constable. Warren, how you doing, man? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Where are we? Right now, we're in the Emergency Task Force, Gymnasium, and uh, Defensive Tactics mat room area. Okay, amazing. I mean, looks, yeah. there's like a lot of stuff in here. A lot of training goes down. Um, sounds yes. like this is where you kind of see what people can do. What are the skills involved to actually get on ETF? So some of the skills that we really look for in someone is, the big one is teamwork. Got it. Um, someone who really enjoys and excels on working in a team environment with other team members, obviously. Um, some of the skills we look for is someone who's really hardworking, mm -hmm. dedicated, um, and someone who is self-sacrificing, likes to put others before themselves. So Warren, let's get into uh, defensive tactics. You mentioned that. I think a lot of people forget that you also have to defend yourselves. Yes. Uh, let's talk about it. Sure. So we do have a defensive tactics program, an empty-handed defensive tactics program here as well. Uh, it might differ a little bit from what the uniformed peoples learn, just because of our, sometimes the situations are unique to, to tactical people. So we do teach our people that it isn't necessary to defend themselves, with the emphasis being on is using the least amount of forces as possible. Of course. So, you know, we have to defend ourselves, but at the same time, we still have to sometimes affect arrest or apprehensions. Absolutely. I mean, as you coordinate, you know, all this training here, yes. I'm sure you also not just see the physical side, but the mental health side of, of what everybody's going through. Um, we we'll just love your thoughts on, you know, how maybe you deal with it or, you know, your other teammates do as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a large portion of what we do here at the ETF is people in crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that, no, sometimes we do have to take these people into into apprehension, into custody, and hopefully get them the help that they they desperately need, and which means is taking them to a, a mental health facility or a hospital. Um, and having said that, sometimes things escalate, but again, we try our best to de-escalate, and you know, at the same time, we we do have to defend ourselves as well. We do emphasize on de-escalation, communication, and trying to resolve things as peacefully as possible with the least amount of force. Absolutely. If you're like training me right now, you know, and um obviously emotions can get super high in intense situations. You know, what would, what kind of advice would you give me if I'm, you know, going through a situation where I have to think mentally first before I go physical? Sure. 
Um, and that's part of the things that part of our selection process is we really do look for people who can be calm under pressure. Got it. Um, and knowing that you do have team members there that are there to help you as well. So um, you might be assigned a certain task within that team, knowing fully well that you do have other team members that you can rely on. So the ability to think critically in a team environment is paramount to our success. Absolutely. How do you how do you actually see that in a person though? Like how do you actually recognize that they're good under pressure? Well, we do that through our selection process. Oh, we, we put actually people in certain situations. Um, okay. Type of scenarios where we get to see how someone thinks critically and, and we put them in those kind of scenarios. Got it. So we can kind of have an evaluation before a person is even accepted to this unit. We have a, a pretty good understanding of how someone reacts under stress. So we're here with Doug Lachi, method of entry coordinator and breaching expert. Doug, how you doing? Not too bad on yourself. Good, man. Good. good. So like, what is this? This is a, a typical of ETF equipment, banged up, used a lot. Uh, but pivotal as far as our training goes. This is a facade, uh, can mimic outward opening doors in this configuration. We will step around the other side. It's an inward opening door. This is something that our, our teams can use on the fly uh, to prep for perhaps a search warrant or an entry that they need to do, or uh, something that can facilitate training when we don't have live sites to train at. So why is breaching so important? I feel like it's kind of overlooked sometimes in terms of, you know, the spectacle of everything. But, you know, I, I want to go over it because I feel like every door is different. And if you can get in, then, you know. Yeah, well, you just you just hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. If there's so many levels of expertise in here and so many things that we do at this unit, and many of them are, are hinged upon whether or not we can actually get into uh, a place that's fortified or barricaded or just a door in and of, in of itself. Uh, quite often, if we don't get in, we can't achieve our objective, whether that's preservation of life, reduction of injury, or executing a search warrant, securing evidence, that type of stuff. So Doug, there's a lot of doors out there. Do you ever worry that you guys can get through? I mean, there's a ton of tools here. Like, let's talk about, you know, all these different types of situations. The breachers, myself included, the emergency task force are uniquely trained and qualified to get through, I'll say 99.9% of the doors or the barricades out there. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, there's always some interesting things we come across, but with the technology and the tools that we have available, these are some of them uh, at our disposal. Pretty confident that we can get through most, most uh, puzzles in our way. <laughs> I like that you say puzzles. Yeah. So to solve the puzzles, like, can you, can you kind of go over maybe some of these tools and like what, yeah. what they're used for? Sure. So really, breaching is a thinking person's sport, so to speak, uh, beyond sheer strength, with the, which is essentially the rams. Mm -hmm. um, we use, use tools that are commonly used by the firefighters as well. We haven't reinvented the wheel. Got it. We just use tools in a different way with different tactical considerations, much the same as the firefighters would use tools different than we would use them because of fire considerations. So some of the take home bread and butter stuff that we need is, this is called the Halligan bar. And that's typically used in conjunction with a sledgehammer. Pretty much everyone's seen a sledgehammer. Uh, mm -hmm. The firefighters will use an axe and together they call them the irons. Never to say that they can't be separated. They can be used individually, but a huli and a sledge is sort of short form is what we call it, mm -hmm. is a pretty much bread and butter thing because it's certainly more portable than a, than a 50 or 60 pound ram. Yeah. Um, I can stow it and, and move to an objective quickly and it doesn't get in the way and I can still have hands free to do other things until it's time to breach. That's cool. See, I didn't think about that because there's a lot of creativity of like mobility as well as, you know, what you need in certain situations. So it sounds very creative. You know, yeah, you gotta go yeah, beyond. And, and again, at this unit, you have to understand that we're all trained to do pretty much every role. But mm -hmm. at times there's the right person for the right job. The biggest guy on the team's probably going to come into play when physics ramming a door comes into play, yep. but I'm going to be the first guy that might go into a small space because of my, so my size. So we use the right tool for the right job. 
with breaching and also with personnel, but the equalizers here are the portable discs of the Huli and the Sledge, which I would put my skills up against a six foot five monster mm -hmm. uh, because it's it's physics yeah. that go beyond just the sheer force. And, and that's what is so great about these tools is that they're simple, effective if you have the knowledge, skills and ability to use them. And that's what we strive for here. Love it. We're here with Adam Moore, tactical rope access coordinator and method of clearing expert. Adam, how are you doing? Very well. Amazing. So where are we? What is this? Uh, this is uh, the Emergency Task Force uh, Rappel Tower. This is where we train for all of our uh, tactical rope access. So why is it why is it so important, especially in Toronto? Well, in Toronto, uh, if we're able to uh, get a nice uh, shot out there, we've got a lot of uh, really tall buildings. Um, we've got a lot of bridges, um, and it's an important uh, skill for our operators to have so that they can... Uh, Typically, the majority of what we do is helping uh, persons in crisis, anyone who's gotten themselves to a height that's uh, dangerous, and then we have to intervene. Um, so typically, we're going down, mm -hmm. rappelling down, um, and helping out and either negotiating or once someone's been somewhere where they don't have the skill to get back, it's up to us to help uh, rescue them, bring them back. Um, so that happens quite often in the city. Um, and that's really what we do. I feel like people may undervalue a lot of the situations that you go through. I feel like there's different things for different spaces. Can you talk about um, what other uh, types of, uh, I guess, repelling that you go through? Is it just like a single building? Is it balconies or like, let's go through that. So yeah, balconies, balconies are a big thing. Um, we have to um, sometimes just block a balcony so no one can get access to it for any number of reasons but usually for uh, persons in crisis uh, we want to ensure that our public are kept safe and that's one of our major ways for it but we'll have sometimes uh, people will get onto the bad side of bridges oh, um, okay, yeah. and then sometimes they get down and decide that they want to come back up mm. but they don't have the means to so either our officers will rappel down to them sometimes they have to traverse across the like lower part of the bridge um, and sometimes they have to actually ascend to get up to someone so it could be on cranes bridges anything like that but most often we're dealing with buildings and it's balcony denial to making sure that no one hurts themselves what's the um, the mental state you and especially the team here kind of have to be in when you're going down I mean massive heights there's an element of risk um, but the the operators at the emergency task force understand what it takes and and we're here to help the public so that element of risk that we take on as soon as you get over the edge you sort of forget about it because there's that unnatural point where you're about to step off the edge and as a human being, I believe we've evolved to the point that we don't like going off something like that. Um, but once you give that up, once you're over, it's just you have a job to do and you focus on that. So, I mean, clearly, you know, we're here with, you know, some very skilled people and, and we're here bombarding your training session. <laughs> so I want to know, you know, why is it so important that you train so hard, uh, specifically that you're being held on by a piece of rope? Yeah, I'll admit, and I think everyone who does it, that it's, uh, it's probably the most dangerous thing that we do uh, as a unit. Um, but it's that level of skill that you have to have. And it's also, you have to sort of weigh the risk. And when it comes to, there's one of, uh, a member of the public, a citizen of Toronto, who's either in crisis or got themselves into a bad situation, it's our job to put ourselves at that sort of level of risk and we have to train to be good enough to do that and to do it successfully. Absolutely. Cool, so right now, uh, I just finished up with Adam talking. 
you know, we're gonna go down and try to repel and see what they go through, see why it's, you know, something obviously so dangerous, but at the same time, um, I'm here with the best, <laughs> hooking me up and uh, see how it goes. Want, just step back through this thing, lean back, just let a little slack through, let a little slack through, and just get on the other side of it. Yeah, got it. This hand kind of just stays there, mm -hmm. and you're just going to let rope through to repel. So that's you repelling once you get over the side, all Copy. right? Just hang on one second. Just a little slack. There you go. That's it. Oh. All right. Yep. Now this rope is going to stretch just a little bit. Okay. You'll feel that. Mm -hmm. so, Keep your legs nice and Don't be surprised. Sit into it. Straight legs. There you go. Quick feet when you're going to go over the edge. There you go. Sit back into it. Sit back into it. Straight those legs out. There you go. Now walk back. Just walk down the wall. Now when you get to that lift, you're going to go inverted. Okay. So you're just going to keep your feet right on that edge. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We're here with Eddie Bernardo. Uh, he's the sniping coordinator for ETF. Eddie, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. So where are we? Right now we're at the ETF base. We're in our CQB downstairs in the basement. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we do our live fire shooting. Amazing. So sniping. Obviously everybody thinks it's cool, but I feel like there's a lot of stigma around yeah, that. Tell us is. about it. Uh, here at ETF, I'm one of the sniper coordinators along with Craig Ashman. What we do here is it's usually a couple weeks. We take them in, and like we said before, it's not all shooting. We do lots of venues, and it's mostly observation. Just keep everyone safe. Absolutely. I feel like that's a lot of people don't realize that. They you know? don't actually. They, they won't see us. It's because they won't see you, yeah. We think, sometimes I think, I'm like, I'm going to find them, but I'm like, we won't, we won't. If you found us, we're doing something wrong. There you go. That's it. I have not found you. By any, um, you know, one of the things I also always wondered, like urban myth, how's the eyesight situation? How does that work? Well, what happens is, we also have a lot of equipment with us. Yeah. Scopes, spawning mm -hmm. scopes, binoculars. We do use those as well. Of too. course, but you test everybody's eyes and like that type no, of thing. No, we don't. Really interesting. No. So, but it's a lot of the equipment type of thing and feeling as well. Yeah. I feel like the, it's a big the art. Equipment, it helps quite a bit. Absolutely. Is there any other misconceptions that you know the public has around this other than just surveillance? Nope. No. Nope. It. It's just cool and you guys are not seen, but you see everybody. Exactly. I love it. Let's talk about the snipers and their training. Well, for us, uh, our snipers have to call several times a year, yeah. and it's hundreds of hours of training, off-site, different venues, and we're firing thousands of rounds. So guys are, different venues are shooting from different positions, and it's not most of the time, just like we said before, it's not always all shooting, it's observation skills. When we're at large venues, we're just there just to make sure everyone's uh, safe. So if you do see us, it's because we want to be seen. Okay. <laughs> and then as for the team guys, we have usually run several different weapons here at the ETF. And as the same thing, hundreds of hours, thousands and thousands of rounds. 
just to be proficient with their firearms because they have to call several times a year. Absolutely. So I know you have actually some of the best snipers here. I mean, possibly in the world. Um, let's well, talk we, about it. Yeah. We do actually, because uh, we've gone over actually to the US and competed against US snipers and done very, very well. Like top two, top three. It's the breathing, elevation, windage, spin of the earth for the Coriolis effect. Yeah. All these are factors in taking longer shots. Like our shots are meant to be precise. Absolutely, like every millimeter counts. Like you guys are surgeons. Pretty much. Right, surgeons yeah. with a gun. So. <laughs> like if we're off by a quarter of an inch, that could be life or death. Absolutely. So I'm here with Doug Farrell, tactical rope access instructor, method of clearing expert, a sniper expert. You're here with everything, uh, but you're also new to this program, which is the drone program at yes. ETF. Tell us about it. We're currently training uh, numerous drone pilots in, uh, within the unit to uh, assist our teams uh, in the apprehension of suspects. So what is it usually used for? I feel like a lot of us, there's some misconceptions about drones and everybody's like, oh, it's gonna fly and you know, check out cool scenery. But in your aspect of ETF, what is it actually used for? We use it to uh, search for suspects. Uh, if there's a crime is committed and there's an armed person has fled, uh, our drones are equipped with uh, thermal and night vision capabilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll put it up ahead of the team and it can relay uh, information to the team on the ground. So with a drone like this, you know, a lot of people think uh, you can just fly this anywhere. Can ETF do that? <laughs> All our pilots are trained uh, under NAV Canada as advanced by our uh, pass operators. Uh, and have to obey all federal guidelines. Are you um, excited about the program? Like, how do you feel about it? Yeah, this is it, the program's great. We uh, keep uh, getting new equipment and new drones constantly, and we're continuing to learn and become very efficient with them. I really want to see this thing in action. Can we do it? Sure. I'm here with Scott McIntyre, but I want him to actually talk to me about what exactly you do, because it sounds like it's not just paramedics. What else is there? We're all advanced level paramedics in yeah. Toronto. We, we respond to all the regular calls in the city, but we also respond to uh, tactical calls. So whatever calls that emergency task force responds to, we'll get dropped on that call and respond with them. We're a very small group of guys and, uh, and girls. Uh, and uh, we go through some extra training specific with trauma and uh, some rappelling and weapons uh, handling um, in case that needs to be done. Respond to basically anything that they respond to and we provide medical coverage for uh, the operators on the team in case anything happens and uh, we also respond for uh, members of the public also if there's any injuries. We put our guys through extra trauma training, rappelling, weapons, basically everything. We have some, some of the extra medications we'll carry for uh, especially situations, but uh, we've been around for 26 years now. They're the longest uh, tactical medical team in Canada. Well, how's your mental state with all this? Because I feel like, you know, I, I know a lot of people in, in the medicine side and the medical side, yeah. but you're also doing some tactical things yeah. here and there. How's that? How do you balance it out? Um, well, the first component is when we do our selection process, we choose guys, guys or girls who are extremely fit. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a component that they have to pass that way. And then there's uh, 
obviously we choose people who deal with uh, even worse situations than say a medical call in uh, in a tactical environment and that's why we're a very small group of people it's very difficult to find uh, that, yeah a, a large amount of people who can do this job but uh, otherwise they're a great group of people and and uh, they do a great job. So I'm here with Lisa Rocco. She's the crisis negotiator and mental performance and resilience coordinator, and not to mention an active sniper. Lisa, how are you doing? Good yourself? I'm good. I think a lot of people would be surprised here that ETF has a psychologist always on call and ready to go. Can you tell us about being a crisis negotiator and what that means? Of course. One of the most important things we do in this unit is de-escalate. Every call we go to, um, we use our de-escalation technique, which our negotiators are um, trained in and we utilize that most of our call I would say 99% of our calls are resolved just through negotiation we do have doctors that um, we consult with and uh, they basically get called out whenever uh, the situation uh, requires their uh, consulting on scene, uh, which is a very, very small percentage. There's this huge stigma around ETF that is just like this brute force, um, you know, type of uh, unit. But you have this title, mental performance and resilience. Like, what does that mean? And then that's part of ETF. It's just something that I'm trying to understand as well. It's physical, mental, and emotional. And the last, I would say, decade, uh, the science has helped us tremendously. So we try to look at the brain and see how the brain functions under stress. Uh, we work with uh, University of Toronto, help modulate those stresses uh, to help our guys perform better. So I want to get back into crisis negotiation. What actually goes on in the field? Uh, I feel like this word has a lot of stigma behind it. Yes. So as soon as you say crisis negotiation, people envision someone standing on the side of the building and trying to commit suicide. Uh, but they don't understand that when we are going and executing a search warrant, for example, and although that person has committed a crime, uh, they are going through crisis. And we are utilizing those negotiation skills to be able to uh, change uh, their behavior and have them come out without any incident. And I believe that our guys do this on a day-to-day -day basis and 99.9% .9 of our uh, calls are resolved through good negotiation skills. So do you deal with people that are suicidal as well? Absolutely. So one-fifth of our calls um, deal with individuals that are going through crisis and uh, we are very, very um, good at uh, diffusing those uh, situations and uh, coming out and having the individual um, apprehended and taking those individuals uh, to the hospital. Uh, in fact, we have doctors um, that we collaborate with and uh, if the situation is a type that we need a doctor to be on scene, we will notify the doctor and they will attend the scene and they collaborate with us to resolve the situation peacefully. So obviously there's a lot of calls and people you deal with, but for yourselves and the rest of the team, you know, how do you go ahead and, and deal with you know, all the stress that this job can actually bring? Absolutely. So uh, we go from, um, you know, even utilizing uh, meditation, um, mindfulness, breathing technique, recovery workouts. It's very important because I believe that mental health goes hand in hand with performance. If that officer is mentally well, then they're able to perform well. And also 
they won't have the wear and tear and the strain of the job. So they will last longer. And essentially, and the service benefits from this and the community. So that essentially makes them more effective and productive and everyone benefits from it. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people forget that you need to rest in order to be the best version of yourself physically and mentally. Absolutely. It's very, I'm very glad that you know, ETF and, and you're helping out with this very, very important aspect of your job. So Craig, what is all this? What are you going to do? <laughs> Tell me about it. All right, Axis, so what we're going to do is have you try on some of the equipment that we use for task-specific selection. Mm -hmm. When we're running the selection course, we do a course which involves wearing what we simulate as our heavy armor. This replicates the kind of weight of what we would wear normally operationally. This is not an operational vest. It just replicates the weight. How much usually? Uh, this particular vest is probably around 30 pounds. Cool. Okay. 30 pounds. Uh, also a helmet. Again, pretty light. Uh, again, probably five pounds or so of a mm -hmm. helmet, five to seven pounds. And then we have a 50 pound two-man ram. Call it two-man ram because uh, preferably we'll have two people on the ram. Yeah. However, taking it to the call, one person normally carries it. Got it. So I'm going to help you uh, put the body armor cool. on. And again, this is one portion for the person who's going through selection. It's about a three to four minute course, which you'd always have the helmet and the body armor on. But the RAM is one stage of it where we actually take you all the way up to the rappel tower, Ooh. back to the basement, and then back to the garage. Oh my gosh, yeah. Let so me, if you're let good me to feel go, it, yeah. Let's try it out. Yeah, Perfect. for sure. So just uh, slip your ass over your head. All right, there you go. I'm gonna help both of you in. and keep this on here, the abdominal band. All right. Just turn, turn to face me a little oh, bit. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. And there should be one. There we go. So right now this feels pretty 35? Uh, this vest is probably uh, around there. 35. Around there? 35, sure. Okay. <laughs> I feel the weight and I'm not even, I can only imagine what flights can of stairs breathe? I feel like. I can breathe. I'm Alrighty. good to go. And then we have uh, your helmet. Beautiful. We won't cinch it up too tight. That's okay. We'll get right in there. There we go. And then just uh, heads yeah. up and then give the buckle. Yeah. Uh, right here. Right and we can snug it up to the tighter, yeah. but for now, you're not going to be running too exactly. much. Exactly. So just to give you an idea. Yeah. All right, cool. And then usually, but you'd also have like other things like Yeah, so operationally, like we'd have on the gun belts, yeah. equipment, uh, communication systems, you know, Air Pro, magazines, and you're in full kit, oh the boots gosh. and everything. How uh, much pads. is that in total? Thing. I think on average, you can, on average, especially if you're carrying a ram, you can increase your body weight by about 100 pounds. Oh. And that's just to get to the call. Then yeah. the call starts. So, as you know, physical fitness is obviously huge, of paramount, uh, most important. So, when you guys train, I mean, I see you guys in the gym, obviously, but do you end up putting on weighted stuff a lot to just try to simulate as much as you can when you are like doing cardio or stuff like that? Some guys will. They will have on a weighted vest as well for the chin ups and the push ups portions and so on, and just for moving around as well. Makes sense. Yeah, but again, a variety of workouts that, that we all go through. That trains uh, for the weight of everything. Absolutely, for Got sure. It. So, show me how this, how do I yeah, carry Yeah, so this ideally, uh, the ram, it's about 50 pounds. Two, two pound uh, man, uh, two man ram. Mm -hmm. Ideally, in the upper position, you want to use your knees to lift up. Again, you yep. have a lot of equipment on you. Your upper body is going to be heavy as it is. You don't have your knees locked out while bending it up because that, yeah. while picking it up, your without bending your knees, yeah. because that's just looking for lower back injuries. Of so, course. we're going to approach a ram. You want to use both knees. You're going to bend down, yep. and we're going to launch it up and land it on our shoulder. Got it. Okay, so ideally, it's going to be like this. Pick yeah. it up and on his shoulder. Got it. Like that. And Dang. then normally we'll do the stairs and so on. Are you <laughs> good to go? Okay, I'm going to try. Are you good to yeah, go? Yeah, I'm going to try. All right, just watch yourself. Okay. And lowering it down, just take your time and relax. Okay, go. I'm a lefty, so let's see if I okay. can go and throw this here. I'm right there with you. 
Oh my god. Oh my god. Ah. Okay, so now here's what I'm feeling inside. A lot of humble, humbleness in my body. Um, that they have to run up. Oh my gosh. Are yeah. No, 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 I'm good. But I'm just trying to think about the idea of like, you're going upstairs yep. with this thing, you know, on your body, 100 pounds plus 50, 150. Yeah. Tiring. You're looking at, yeah, you're looking at quite a bit of weight. It's tiring. Sure. My core is blasting right now, but <laughs> it's good. No, it's good. I'm going to put this down slowly. Yep. I'll help you down with that. Perfect. Yep. Thank you. I got it. That's good. That's good. ETF. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, <laughs> well, like, listen, I feel like this experience has been really cool for me because a lot of the stigmas, you know, personally and honestly that I've had also about uh, this unit, which is shown to me that they're completely false, right? You're not guys are just some muscle heads. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, things that you go into, not just in the science, but it's your mental health aspect. There's a lot of, you know, methodical things you do behind the scenes. I want to ask you, is there anything you want the public to know yeah. uh, that maybe I've experienced or haven't said? No, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, thanks to you, you and your team for coming by. Our best interest is to, of course, save lives, safety for everyone involved, right? Not just the police officers or the public, everyone involved. Why we're called to that call, safety is paramount for us. Absolutely. We definitely want to have, make sure we have a, a peaceful resolution. Okay, and I think now that you've seen a little bit of behind the scenes and you spoke to the different subject matter experts, Hopefully that the general public will also get to gain the same experience that you did to see what we really are all about. Absolutely, it's, you know what you guys, you guys are caring. That's the thing, Absolutely. you're actually more caring than what everybody thinks because you're not only caring about the people you're trying to help and save, but also your team members as well. And I think that's the Absolutely. perfect combination of a, a great unit. So Craig, thank you so much for taking us around Thank you today. for coming to the unit, of course. really and appreciate it. That thank was uh, ETF, TPS 24 Shades of Blue, and we're out. Thank you.